All right, welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. It's Arizona State's bye week this week alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, ASU loses another game this time against the Oregon Ducks. It has 10 days to recover and now has to play back-to-back ranked teams, two of the top teams in the Pac-12 and Utah and Washington. And then, of course, the Sun Devils will finish the season with the Territorial Cup against Arizona. But for a team that started 5-1, and one, uh, a very significant and dramatic turn right now for ASU. A lot of different injuries affecting the team right now. Just want to get your sense before we really dive into the different topics we'll talk about on this podcast about where Arizona State is in the course of its season. What's the health of this team right now overall and what you think about the way things have transpired over the last month? It was a difficult to gauge team early on in the season. Uh, they got some matchups that I think were favorable and beneficial. Uh, they were less of a known entity, which I think uh, benefited ASU. I was a little bit surprised by the 4-0 start as a result of some of those things and the fact that they played a little better than anticipated, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we've talked a lot about just the, the, the going into the season, our expectation was for this to be a 500 win, 500 type of a team, maybe plus one. Uh, and it looks like it's going to end up right around a 500 team uh, at the end of the day. I do think that opportunities uh, to win against Washington State and at Oregon were significantly hampered by the injuries that they have, which are pretty significant and certainly more than I've uh, than I can remember covering the program uh, or being around ASU dating to at least the mid 90s and especially when you factor in what's happened at the quarterback position uh, I don't remember ever having to start a fourth string quarterback um, uh, and so when Dylan Sterling Cole is out there on the road getting his first start against Oregon and you have Armand Perry and Kareem Orr and Salam Ofizo not playing. That's three of your best defensive players. Christian Sam hasn't played since NAU. That's four of your top defensive players. Tim White is your best receiver. He's not playing uh, other than on special teams as a return man. And you have two starting offensive linemen out. It's uh, that's that's a that's a major thing that you're that you're dealing with. And I don't know that any team is going to be able to overcome that and be able to achieve anywhere near the expectations that uh, existed prior to those injuries. And um, at the same time, again, I look at it like ASU probably wasn't going to be winning anything this year anyways. And this is now given a lot of younger players the opportunity to uh, learn trial by fire, if you want to call it that. And it probably will actually help them in some odd way in 2017 and beyond. I mean, when you look at the teams at the top of the Pac-12 this season, Colorado, of course, has taken everyone by surprise, but that's a team that uh, was in trouble a few years ago and had to play a lot of young players, and all of a sudden those players get key experience and they become good players eventually. It just takes time, and right now it's difficult for Arizona State fans to see that, especially when you have so many key players limited or out due to injury. But I think it says a lot about the way this season has unfolded that ASU starts a true freshman in Dylan Sterling Cole, first career start against Oregon. And we have to start by talking about a defense that gave up 734 yards, the second most yards ever allowed by ASU dating back to 1990 when they faced off against that Houston team that 
set all sorts of NCAA records with his offense. This Oregon team wasn't poised to set any records. It has been struggling all season. It was just the Ducks' third win of the year. It was just the third start of the year for true freshman quarterback Justin Herbert, who looked like a maestro against the Sun Devils, passing for 489 yards against ASU, had never gone over 450 in his career dating back to high school, Pop Warner, any level of football. They had his Pop Warner stats, so you, you, you were able to find those. Yeah, he had four. In, Herbert four. was able to find them for everyone. Oh, no doubt. Uh, four touchdowns and no interceptions. Um, ASU's defense is uh, probably even worse than last year when you look at it, uh, all things considered, and maybe not if they had all their players healthy uh, that might not be the case but th this was a matchup between two of the worst defenses in power five football absolutely uh, Oregon is at or near the very bottom in most of the categories somewhere between 125 and 128 in, in like a lot of these different categories and equally bad run versus pass something that we talked about a lot in the preview ASU is a much worse uh, team against the, the pass and the run that's kind of by design because they pressure so much that that they're trying to make opponents one-dimensional but that one dimension has been outstanding for opponents of ASU um, in the last three games alone all three losses ASU's uh, allowed opponents seven passing touchdowns no interceptions uh, it's been seven seventy six percent completion rate which is um, that's better than any team's averaged uh, this season uh, in the Pac-12 by far. And really, um, it, it, it almost is enough of a uh, resounding statement about ASU's defense that it might make you even have to question, if you're Todd Graham or Keith Patterson, their approach to football given that they've now played five top 30 passing offenses in the country, very air raid heavy teams, three of the top five, Texas Tech, Cal, Washington State, those teams haven't needed to run the football at all to, to beat ASU. And, and, um, and so it's almost a, a, uh, a, a, pet, a, pit, a, a, a number of games here, a stretch of games where ASU might have to almost look uh, inside of itself and figure out, you know, who are we? What's our identity? How are we going to try to accomplish uh, uh, putting a better defense on the field uh, in the future? You described the game between Arizona State and Oregon as two of the worst defenses in college football yep. statistically. And it feels to me like we've said that once or twice this season. And here's why. 124th in the NCAA in total defense, Cal. 125th, ASU. 126th, Texas Tech. 127th, Oregon. The only team worse than those four schools, Rice, Todd Graham's former school. Yeah, and Rice is, Rice is probably the worst defense in the country, but not playing the, with the same caliber of athletes and, and talent that ASU has. And it's been just bad defensive football. Keith Patterson said to us in the last few weeks, um, I wish I maybe I should have been an offensive coordinator uh, he's, you know, well advanced in his career, um, you know, 25 years into his career now. And, um, it's the type of thing that makes you almost think about going back to the, to the drawing board, uh, just given what they, what they've done. And certainly as we've talked about a lot in our premium content for the members, uh, they've, they've made some grave errors with their recruiting decisions, 
in the secondary in a three class period of 2012, 13 and 14. And that it has now come to come to bear in a really bad way for ASU last year. And this year uh, they've, they've uh, this, I think they're going to bottom out this year. I really do. Um, there's some young players in the fold uh, who are, are talented athletes that can cover. And, and uh, I think they will be better uh, moving forward, but it's all relative. I mean, even if you're somewhat better, you're still bad uh, for, as a passing defense. And um, this is nothing like the defenses that we saw from uh, Todd Graham's ASU teams in 2013 and 14, as we're going to get into here in a bit. Okay, you said it's nothing like those defenses. This defense has still been able to get pressure during this three-game losing streak. The Sun Devils are averaging four sacks per game, obviously helped by that seven-sack total against Washington State. But four sacks per game is what the national leader Alabama averages. But Alabama's defense has been able to create turnovers this year, one of the best turnover margins in the country. And you look at ASU's team, and the Sun Devils are averaging 1.3 turnovers generated per game, by far the lowest of the Todd Graham era. So the pressure's getting there, but the Sun Devils aren't stripping the ball. They're not getting fumbles, and they're not picking the ball off in the secondary. There's no interceptions to speak of. Yeah. How many... um batted balls of the line of scrimmage have we seen where somebody intercepted it for ASU almost none how many uh, times have we seen the, uh, a robber type coverage where uh, the bandit position intercepted balls like we saw from Alden Darby uh, when he was at ASU uh, how many times have we seen uh, in man coverage the field side safety get an interception the way that we saw Demarius Randall uh, there's been some interceptions from uh, Deshavon Hayes is uh, leading the team in interceptions, and he's a converted running back out of the junior college level. Probably uh, shouldn't even necessarily be starting for ASU at that position if they're recruiting the way that they should have been uh, there for a while. But uh, part of it is, is, is bad luck. Part of it is um, they are pressuring in the way that you would think would lead to strip sacks and the ability to recover fumbles and those things aren't happening as much as they probably would on average. And then part of it is not having guys who are really good coverage defensive backs uh, who can make plays in one-on-one situations down the field or in zone robber type coverage, not getting uh, enough tip balls up the line of scrimmage. You have kind of um, uh, more undersized defensive tackles, Tayshaun Smallwood, Villiami Latu. I don't see those guys getting hands up on balls. Has, jo- has Jojo Wicker gotten any? Uh, hands-on footballs that's led to interceptions. I don't. I, I just don't see that. Uh, they are getting the sacks. It's not like their sack numbers are are dramatically off from what they've been, and and part of that is is definitely uh, schemed for by the way that they uh, attack. But um, there's just something that's just not there. We we looked at the uh, recently. We looked at. Uh, the stats for uh, what ASU's done in the past when it had success and back-to-back seasons. Uh, ASU went, won 10 games in 2013, 10 games in 2014. It finished first in the league in turnover margin with plus 15 in that 2013 season. In 2014, it finished second in the Pac-12 behind only Oregon. Oregon, of course, went to the national championship game that year. Uh, but ASU was plus 15 that uh, 2013, plus 14 in 2014. This year, it's at a deficit in turnover margin and there's been no uh, team other than USC last year uh, that's been plus 10 or more in turnovers and not won at least 10 football games uh, since Utah and Colorado were added uh, to the Pac-12 and, and and this statistic is is the most telling stat really in 
college football, it, it carries through to this year. Washington is, is leading the league with plus 13 turnover margin and 8-0. As we know, Colorado is right there in the south race, has as good a chance as anyone at this stage, and plus 10. Uh, that's second uh, behind only Washington, and, and this is a Colorado team that's 6-2. and two. So you have to generate turnovers, and you have to not turn the football over. Uh, in order to be able to put yourself in a position to win that 10-plus game range, uh, especially in a conference like this one where uh, ASU is not going to have more talent than, than a handful of the teams in any given year, and that's just not happening. Uh, and they've also turned the football over uh, a little bit too much, and, and part of that is being young at the quarterback position. Well, you mentioned the 2013 season, ASU finishing plus 15. 2014, ASU finishing plus 14. People might look at this and say this is a regression to the mean, but this is a regression well beyond the mean for an ASU defense that is set up to generate turnovers. Even if you're playing a freshman quarterback or a first-year quarterback in Manny Wilkins who hasn't played uh, really before this season, didn't throw a pass before this season, the Sun Devils are still designed as a team to protect the football and go and get the football. And when you have a negative turnover ratio, that's why you see these this three-game losing streak that could easily spiral into a five-game losing streak headed into that matchup with Arizona at the end of the season. Well, you have to look at uh, going back to the what led to all of this stuff happening. And a lot of it is just personnel. Uh, 2012, Graham's first class. Uh, he has six weeks to put it together. He adds Lyle Mochioli. He's the only uh, defensive back that they add, but he's really more of a hybrid safety linebacker type of a player. There's no coverage DBs. Uh, 2013, Quishy uh, Brown, a junior college player that didn't really have that much success. Uh, Demarius Randall, of course, was ASU's best defensive back in the Graham era. Uh, um, they also had Solomon Means, the junior college player who was a, you know, a marginal type of a player. And then uh, James Johnson, Will Early, Jamie Odomewo, DeAndre Scott, Chad Adams, Ta- Daz Tautolatasi, uh, Tyler Wiley transitioning these guys to, 20, to the 2013-14 classes. A lot of those names people won't know because they're not at ASU anymore. They never really were able to impact uh, the depth chart, uh, none of those guys that I mentioned there are true coverage defensive backs in the mold of the players who were really successful for Todd Graham in those earlier years when he had Robert Nelson, uh, who's now playing in the NFL. Of course, Demarius Randall's playing cornerback starting in the NFL. Uh, you have Alden Darby, who, uh, although wasn't necessarily a great man coverage player, he had great instincts uh, uh, in zone defense, which is the way that they were able to use that position. And, and that uh, led to him being a, a, a takeaway threat. And then you had Deveron Carr and Asahan Irabor. Well, that's four or five guys right there who are all better than anything that we've seen subsequent to that from a coverage standpoint. And now I do think, Kerry, that Kareem Orr is going to be a really good player in the next year or two, but he was a 2015 signee for Graham. So three years and they they didn't really get those players. That's the position that Todd Graham works with in, in a practice setting, especially earlier in his career at ASU before he's become more of an overseer. Uh, and so ultimately the blame falls on him. You know, for people that are are really frustrated with Keith Patterson or want to maybe look at him as, as um, 
the, the reason for ASU going downhill. Well, Keith Patterson was at ASU in 2014. ASU had a really good defense. He wasn't part of any recruiting class at ASU until 2015 and 2016. These problems uh, long predate uh, the arrival of Keith Patterson from a personnel standpoint. And, uh, and it's a hole that they're now uh, having to try to scratch and claw their way out of. And just to hammer this point home one more time, even in 2012 in Graham's first season at ASU when the Sun Devils won eight games, they were generating more than two turnovers per game on offense. It was Taylor Kelly's first, on defense, excuse me, it was Taylor Kelly's first season, his most turnover-prone season as a Sun Devil. In 2015, they generate just 1.6. That's a significant drop-off. And then in 2016 this year, 1.3 turnovers per game, and that's not going to get the job done. You bring up an interesting point, and this I want to transition. It was how ASU recruited uh, the secondary, 2012, 2013, 2014, that has kind of led to these issues. And I want to change gears a little bit because we had some big news the other day on the site. Kamani Lawrence uh, committed to the ASU basketball program, and this is a program that is just getting going this season. We also cover ASU basketball here at Sun Devil Source. And Chris, you had a chance to watch Kamani Lawrence this summer. He's the fifth four-star prospect that Bobby Hurley is poised to add in a two-year class uh, and that's the first time ASU has done that in a long time, two-year cycle, I should say. Um, signing day coming up on Wednesday, November 9th. So just for anyone listening to this podcast who's maybe interested in our premium content, who's interested in our basketball content, Chris, this is a big-time uh, ad for ASU's class. Yeah, it's huge. Um, I think probably there are some people on our site or who follow us who know that uh, my origins in um, covering recruiting and, and ASU – really started with basketball recruiting uh, around 2000, 2001, uh, early in the, the scout.com era, uh, working some freelance. And and we haven't seen anything like this from a recruiting standpoint at ASU. I mean, uh, between uh, all of Rob Evans' classes at ASU to uh, Herb Sendek's classes at ASU, and, and now uh, Bobby Hurley, ASU's never added more than three top 100 four-star prospects in, in any uh, two-year period. Well, Hurley did that last year alone when he added Sam Cunliffe, uh, the talented 6'6 wing out of Washington, uh, Jet, Jethro Tashumpa, uh, who's a 6'10 with a 7'6 wingspan shot blocker um, originally from the Congo. And then they also uh, added Romello White late in the spring, uh, a player who's not eligible academically to play this year, but he's another top 100 player, six eight power forward, very skilled uh, around the basket. So, you know, supplementing that this year, they they uh, received a commitment from Remy Martin, who's a top 100 prospect, the number 25 point guard recruit nationally. And now they uh, get Kamani Lawrence, who's uh, number 54 overall in the class. Uh, he's the number 11 small forward in the class. Um, this isn't all going to really show up in a way that makes ASU a better basketball team this season uh, because really only Cunliffe is going to be able to make a big impact right away. But, but when you look at where ASU is going to be a year from now, uh, heading into 2017-18, I think you're going to see a number of these guys uh, being uh, starting or being uh, key players off the bench. And then you're going to have, of course, 
Trey Holder will be a senior that year. Shannon Evans is going to be a senior that year. Cody Justice will be a senior that year. Uh, so so they, they, they have a chance to start building something in this Bobby Hurley era. And it's something that we really at Sun Devil Source are the only um, ASU-oriented uh, site that goes around and covers basketball recruiting in the spring and the summer. I did get a chance to see Kamani Lawrence in person uh, several times in Las Vegas in July. And ASU hasn't had wings that have this combination of athleticism and length and skill set. I mean, the, the, the total package of that uh, in Kamani Lawrence, the same as was the case with Sam Cunliffe. And especially when you put those guys together, two six six guys that have these types of skill sets and the length, they're not going to look out of place in the Pac-12 in the way that we've seen uh, often from ASU. So if you cover ASU basketball recruiting or you're interested in it, I should say, uh, that's something that we really uh, spend a lot of time on also on the site. And not, not as much on the podcast, especially because the season hasn't really started since we began uh, the podcast, but we'll be doing more of that uh, in the coming weeks and months. So if you are interested in that content, you like our football content, you want to get some more, go to www.sundevilsource.com. The sign up tab, the join tab is on the right hand side of the page at the very top. It's easy to walk through and you'll get all sorts of great content in that regard. Basketball season uh, starting up very shortly. ASU plays on Friday night season opener after the Sun Devils uh, football team hosts Utah on Thursday, November 10th. So we'll be bringing you wall-to-wall coverage of Bobby Hurley's squad as well. Chris, I want to transition back to ASU and Oregon uh, on the football field. And I think it's interesting that we talked a little bit about basketball, how you said that Kamani Lawrence is going to fit in as a wing in the Pac-12. Sam Cunliffe's going to do the same uh, because on the football field, ASU is experiencing some of the problems that the basketball program had in recent years where it's using players almost out of position that don't quite fit in right now. And if you looked at Saturday's game, that was absolutely obvious when the Sun Devils had to take their top pass rusher, the top pass rusher in the Pac-12 in Karan Crump, and play him as a Sam linebacker because of all the injuries that have impacted this program. So let's dive into this. ASU's defense, not only giving up all those yards, but using players who really didn't belong at certain positions. Yeah, that just wasn't going to work, especially because at, at the devil backer position, Karan Crump is basically a, a, just a dedicated pass rusher. He's not uh, having to read too many keys and uh, adjust to coverage responsibilities and even you know stopping the run to the play side is not necessarily his strength. He's athletic and he can chase things down from the backside. Yeah, that's great. But with Salamo Fizo not out there injured because of the knee that he hurt the previous week, ASU decided to play uh, Crump as a Sam linebacker. Well, that's just a totally different animal. I mean, in in one week, you can't transition from being a devil backer to a Sam linebacker and expect that you're going to be able to identify where the ball's going on run plays and uh, be able to cover tight ends and things that, that, that those, uh, that position really has to do. And so we saw Farrell Brown lead uh, Oregon in receptions and yardage. And he's a really good player who basically missed about two years because of a, a gruesome knee injury that he suffered um, in 2014. But uh, it's just, that's, you, you can't expect otherwise. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. You have Christian Sam out. He's already your best uh, pass defender as an inside linebacker. Salam Ofizo's out. You're thin at the, at that position group. 
DJ Calhoun is more of a, a run stopper than a, a, a pass defender. He stayed at the will position. And then other than that, you have um, some other – Kalen Thomas is a player who – um, hasn't really played much this season. Still recovering from a meniscus hasn't tear. Ball, still, he's going to redshirt. Okay, so he, so so that's a guy who hurt his meniscus in the spring, and so he's not out there. He played as a true freshman, so that's why it kind of makes sense for him to use a redshirt year. And they've been playing Carlos Mendoza now, who had ten tackles and was very uh, energized in that game. But um, you know, from a talent standpoint and and a, and a um, just uh, experience level. I mean, he's not really there either. And so those, those problems uh, in the broader, uh, you know, construct of ASU also uh, having a lot of challenges at, at safety where you're playing Jamarcus Rhodes for the very first time in his career at the field side position and Marcus ball being more of a run stopping player than a coverage player. It just, uh, there's just a can of worms that have been opened up by all these injuries um, and ASU's lack of depth and some of these key positions uh, is really showing in, a, in, a, in a, a glaringly bad way. Fourth week in a row that Marcus Ball leads the Sun Devils in tackles. This time he had 14 tackles, the most since Jordan Simone did so against Washington State a few years ago. Uh, but Marcus Ball, like you said, is almost an in-the-box defender for ASU. Doesn't fit the prototype bandit safety look, and that's bared out in his past defense statistics. He only has one interception this season. It came on a tipped pass by Layu Mokiola, where he was right place, right time, and he doesn't have a pass defended. He did have that fumble recovery that he picked up and ran 45 yards late in the game against Oregon that helped put the Sun Devils in a good position. But other than that, Marcus Ball is pretty much a run stopper from the defensive backfield. Yeah, he's a guy that you really want to roll down into the box um, when you're playing cover zero, cover one, cover three type looks. He's not like a you know a, a guy that you want backpedaling and uh, transitioning to the sideline to try to get to be a help defender on, on routes. He's not somebody that you want in man coverage situations or cover four situations where he has to manage a, a lot of space. Um, so the, what we're seeing now is restricted, uh, 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 calls from ASU's defense of what it can, uh, uh, reasonably expect to have success with on certain down and distances. And then that becomes something that opponents are able to know and can adjust for. And, you know, the game ultimately is a chess match and, and ASU's got some of its top pieces not on the board right now. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, the Sun Devils had to move Kyle Williams over, who spent the first eight weeks of the season uh, playing defense, at least in practice, got in a little bit against Cal earlier this year. Kyle Williams comes over and immediately plays at slot receiver for the Sun Devils with Demario Richard out. Nick Ralston takes a nice share of snaps, uh, helps out Kalen Balaj in the backfield for ASU. On the offensive line, you're without... Uh, A.J. McCollum in the middle of the uh, offense. And then Stephon McCray goes down as well when he was filling in for Sam Jones. So you've got three new linemen in there and Zach Robertson, Tyler McClure, and uh, Steve Miller getting his first real extensive action. And that hurt the Sun Devils as well. Yeah, there's continuity and familiarity with understanding 
you know, how everybody blocks and, and reacts around you is essential. Just like that's been a big problem with ASU defensively. That's also been a really big problem, you know, in other ways. And so, I mean, they're just, um, they're, they're trying the best that they can. I think it's going to help, um, them in the future, as we said before, you know, Steve Miller, uh, Zach Robertson, those guys are retro freshmen. They're getting a lot of reps. Uh, but in the long run, um, that's great. In the short term, uh, it's just not going to allow them to, to play anywhere near as efficiently as they hope to. The Sun Devils put up 35 points in this game against Oregon, but Oregon's a team that has been among the worst in the, in the nation, as we said, in scoring defense. It was giving up 240 yards on the ground on average prior to this game, and ASU was only able to rush for 139. ASU had the advantage of going to its bigger, sparky package, still was not able to generate uh, much room on the ground, and it ended up really hurting the Sun Devils and probably kept them from being able to win this game because they had to put the ball in Dylan Sterling Cole's hands more than they would have liked to. Absolutely. Um, and to Mario Richard not playing obviously hurt. Uh, I think he's a guy who probably is able to go if they if they needed him. He actually went through some some of the warmups. He practiced um, last week. He practiced right after um, um, that that game in subsequent practices by ASU. Kalen Balage uh, ended up getting 18 carries, but only had 62 rushing yards and 3.4 yards per carry. That's not going to get it done against uh, a defense that's giving up 240 rushing yards a game and has been re- really gashed, uh, you know, to a large degree. And this was the first serious action of Nick Ralston's career uh, in, in meaningful reps. And he had 10 carries for 54 yards, and he looked good out there. Uh, he's a guy who's done a lot to uh, streamline his physique and, and looks more athletic and healthier than he's been uh, last year. And so I think his future is bright, but when you have just uh, a, a junior walk-on center, uh, Tyler McClure, you have two redshirt freshmen out there, uh, and then you have a, a sophomore, a redshirt sophomore, third-year player out there as well on your offensive front. They're just not experienced enough and, and uh, not impactful enough uh, to have been able to make it easier on Dylan Sterling Cole. And and let's, of course, keep in mind, ASU had, what, 35 points in that game, which it's not like that's a bad performance on the road, but against a, a, a dismal Oregon defense who you know is going to put up a lot of points given ASU's challenges on the defensive side of the football, it just wasn't enough. With all that being said, though, Dylan Sterling Cole throws for 300 yards, throws a touchdown pass, and Nikhil Harry runs in for a score, And he made some great throws in this game. He looked like he flashed a lot of potential, had arm talent on display that ASU hadn't seen from Manny Wilkins, from Brady White, from Bryce Perkins. From anyone. playing in fall camp. From anyone. Going back to like Andrew Walter. So you're looking at that arm talent. You're seeing what he's able to accomplish. You know Manny Wilkins has been hurt this season. It's just his first year in Chip Lindsey's system. Does this mean that ASU can, can consider opening up a quarterback competition uh, come bowl practices or the spring? So here's the thing. Um, Manny Wilkins is uh, not going to improve as much in the next year as Dylan Sterling Cole is going to improve. And right now, Dylan Sterling Cole is not as good of a quarterback as Manny Wilkins, uh, in my opinion. But um, given that Sterling Cole looks like he's going to be very competent, if not really good, 
uh, at the Pac-12 level, given that he's only a true freshman at some point in time. I think you have to continue to evaluate that situation. And not that I expect uh, Todd Graham or Chip Lindsey to say that we have a quarterback competition or that um, the position's up for grabs necessarily. But I do think that they are internally going to continue to monitor it. And I wouldn't be surprised if um, they're still having an open mind about who ends up being their quarterback in 2017 um, between bowl practices, assuming they get those, spring football, uh, and even into the fall. Now, we know that Brady White's not going to be part of the conversation, and the reason is because he has a severe uh, foot injury that's he's not going to be taking any practice reps until at least August at the earliest, right? So, And then even then, he's coming back from a year uh, type of a injury and being off and and uh, so we'll have to see what happens with Bryce Perkins he of course was um, third by by a good margin in, in August and I don't know that coming off of a serious neck injury that he's gonna just jump right back in there uh, by the spring and, and, and be competitive uh, given those facts so I, I do think that at this stage of um, what we've seen from Wilkins, what we've seen from Sterling Cole, that this is something that's going to have to be continue uh, to monitored, uh, to be monitored um, between now and really um, the start of, of camp at a minimum next year. What helps Sterling Cole in this situation is not even so much Wilkins play this year. It's that Brady White and Bryce Perkins may not factor in to this competition. So there's all those two reps that are up for grabs, and those are much more plentiful during bowl practices and during spring camp that you can really get a sense of his overall talent, his overall ability and command of the offense. And in turn, even if the coaching staff doesn't want to entertain a quarterback competition, Sterling Cole, who may not have been in position to be in one, can now force their hand with strong play. Yeah, there's no doubt that he's going to at least be getting the, the two reps when Manny Wilkins uh, comes back and plays. I think Wilkins probably does play against Utah. He's out there moving around a lot better than he had before uh, since the injury against USC, the ankle injury. Uh, his arm is more the issue now. He's not throwing the ball yet, but I, I think that he's simulating throws in, in a way that leads me to believe he will play against Utah. But, uh, but, but Sterling Cole is going to get a lot of looks. He's going to continue to be evaluated. Of course, he still has a redshirt year that's going to be available to him next year, which would allow ASU to space Wilkins and Sterling Cole by two years, right? Because uh, Wilkins would be a junior. Let's say that uh, Sterling Cole redshirts, then he becomes a sophomore when Wilkins is a senior. So there, that may be enough to entice Sterling Cole to stay committed and, and, and bought into what they're doing and have the ability to become a two-year starter. Of course, Ryan Kelly's committed to ASU at a batch of high school. Uh, he'll sign with the program and, and, and be on campus next year. So he becomes uh, a factor as well. And I'm not going to, uh, you know, certainly wouldn't count out Brady White or even Bryce Perkins uh, because you know things do change as guys evolve and, and time goes on and there's injuries and all sorts of different other variables that could happen. But Manny Wilkins has thrown uh, one or two more touchdowns than he has interceptions this year. Uh, if you look at his passer rating and some of the advanced statistics, it's not like he's lighting the world on fire uh, by any stretch. And yeah, he's a first-year starter, but the, the quarterback play overall from ASU hasn't been good enough from anybody that it would lead to uh, 
what in my mind would be them saying, okay, this guy's whoever this is, this is our starter for the future. So looking at all the injuries, looking at the quarterback situation, looking at how ASU's defense has performed in recent games, ASU now goes and hosts Utah, the number 16 team in the college football playoff poll, and then is on the road at Washington, the number five team with an opportunity to rise in the poll over the next few weeks. And then they take on Arizona at the end of the season, which is almost undoubtedly ASU's best opportunity to earn a victory at this point in the year to get bowl eligible. But Chris, what are the odds that this team actually does so? Can they win a sixth game this year after starting out five and one? I think it's really a coin flip, uh, to be honest. Uh, the, they're Washington, they have almost no chance to win uh, on the road against one of the top, you know, certainly the top five teams in college football. Uh, Utah is a team that they can be competitive with and maybe even beat. The reason why I, I believe that is Utah's not uh, been that potent of an offense, and especially with their passing game, and that's obviously ASU's big weakness right now. Uh, so it's not like they're going to have a big talent advantage. I like their offensive line. Their run game is, is very solid. They don't turn the football over, so they're not going to give ASU probably that many opportunities uh, in that regard, which is where ASU's had some problems. Uh, I haven't made a, a final decision on this because we're going to watch a number of more practices, but I'll, I'll probably pick ASU to lose to Utah. It's definitely going to pick ASU to lose at Washington. And then Arizona game, um, is you know really one of these territorial cup toss-ups. Neither team is is, is good. Uh, the game being in Tucson, I don't know that that really means all that much uh, in that in that type of a situation. Uh, and and there's a there is a real possibility. Uh, there's better than a 50-50 chance, probably more like a 65-70% chance that ASU ends up needing to win that game uh, in order to become bowl eligible. And um, and that that. That puts a lot on the line because you get 15 up to 15 bowl practices uh, as a result of getting bowl eligible. So that is the same number of practices that you get from spring football. And uh, from a developmental standpoint, getting your younger players uh, progressing, being able to evaluate what you have on your roster as you transition to the spring, all that stuff, it's very uh, important. And so ASU... Um, it, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're in the, like we said, you know, whether they're in the, the Cactus Bowl or the New Mexico Bowl or whatever. It's more that they get the opportunity to uh, spend that month developing. At this point, if you're building toward 2017, 2018, those practices become all the more essential when you're using guys like Zach Robertson on the offensive line, Sam Jones, who's going to come back, Quinn Bailey. Uh, these guys are young. They need to mesh together. And then you've got... Uh, you know, your transfers that you can start integrating on offense and John Humphrey and Ryan Newsom that you can start to work in during bowl practices on defense. You've got Armand Perry, Kareem, or you're hoping that they become healthy. Uh, you can maybe start to work out Kalen Thomas a little bit more, even though he's taking a red shirt year. And then you look at the defensive line, you've got Jojo Wicker, Karan Crump, get those guys uh, maybe a little less work and get some of the younger guys behind them, a Jalen Bates more work, a Rennell Wren more work in bowl practices. And that's what really builds 
overall depth and gets these players the confidence that they need. Because like we've mentioned on the premium podcast many times, you're not working so much on improving the players between maybe 40 and 85 on your roster during the regular season. You're working on preparing your starters for each individual game and preparing those players who might play for each individual game. And that changes in bowl practices. Yeah, uh, bowl practices for ASU would be about all those guys you mentioned. Uh, What about... Malik Lawal, can mm-hmm. he be a will linebacker um, or is he just a pass rusher? Uh, what about Robbie Robinson and Chase Lucas, guys that you really need to figure out, okay, what's our secondary going to look like next year? Um, you know, uh, what about uh, Cole Cabral as an offensive tackle prospect? I mean, are, are we content to go into the the uh, next season with him as a starter? Uh, it, it allows you to be, be able to determine – where you're at, do you need to add additional junior college prospects or not uh, to supplement your roster for the following season? There's all these things that you really are able to flesh out and learn to a much greater degree uh, from those practices. So let's take a look around the Pac-12 right now as it's evolved over the course of the season. We've taken a little time off from this, and we mentioned turnover ratio being the biggest indicator of where teams lie in the Pac-12, and it's no surprise that Washington at 5-0 and with the number one turnover mark in the conference. 8-0 and overall is sitting at fifth in the country atop the Pac-12 North, tied with Washington State atop the Pac-12 North. And Colorado is at the top of the Pac-12 South at 4-1 and now after Utah lost a seven-point game at home against the Huskies. I think we're looking at maybe the most interesting Apple Cup in history. Uh, two teams that are five and zero. Oh. That probably shouldn't take much, but <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, I know. There, there, let's 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 be honest though. Washington uh, had a share of a national championship. Nineteen ninety. Washington State has you know been a Rose Bowl team with Ryan Leaf and, and had some really good football teams. So they're probably you know I can't remember exactly, but I'm sure there was a a Apple Cup game that was between two 10 win type teams yeah. probably. But yeah, I mean this is. Um, you know, rare air when you're talking about what those what those teams are up against, and um, they're going to continue their winning ways probably because Washington plays against Cal this week. That's that's going to be a win. Uh, Washington State plays Arizona. I mean, those teams are going to be six and zero in the league after this week, uh, and, and um, so that that sets up kind of just a, a fascinating. Uh, month of um, you know mid to late November and and what and who ends up emerging there. And tonight, Colorado hosts UCLA in a game that, if you asked us uh, prior to the season uh, who this would be a must win for, it would probably be UCLA on the road. But right now, Colorado needs to continue to stay atop the Pac-12 South, stay in front of Utah at this point in the season. Bruins are just absolutely floundering. Of course, uh, Josh Rosen, their star quarterback, um, it was announced that he's not going to play again this season. He's got some nerve damage, and that we believe happened when Karan Crump uh, had a, a sack of uh, of uh, Josh Rosen um, at Sun Devil Stadium, chasing him down from behind. ASU really beat Rosen up in that game. Um, they've they've had to change their offense around quite a bit. Uh, their backup Fawful through 70 times uh, in a game. And so we, we knew that we knew that their offense wasn't uh, really well suited for their personnel other than Rosen. Um, and then their defense sort of seemed to give up uh, in, in their loss where they gave up 
uh, a lot of points, 50 points or something to Utah. So that that's 45 the final score in that. Right. Game. So they're they're in a really bad way right now. Of course, you know, totally out of the Pac-12 race. Uh, you know, still trying to to figure out a way to to get bowl eligible, but in order to do that, they have to win three of the last four games. That's probably not going to happen at this point. I don't see them winning at Colorado. Do you, Kerry? That's going to be a very difficult game, especially Mike Fawful against that Colorado secondary. I don't see it. Yeah, I don't really see it. So UCLA could be one and five and, and three and six uh, overall after this week. And you're not making a bowl if you're three and six in UCLA because you still have to play USC later on this season. And the Trojans are a completely different team right now with Sam Darnold at quarterback, just five and three overall. They host Oregon coming up in what really should be an easy game for USC uh, because the Trojans just look so dominant on offense with Darnold at the helm. I don't see any way that USC doesn't score 50 points in this game at home against Oregon. Uh, I, I don't even think it's going to be close. I don't know what the spread is, but I, I look for a 20-plus point uh, differential there. The only other game to talk about in the Pac-12 this week, Stanford and Oregon State, and there's really not much to talk about with either of those schools. If the Cardinal win... David Shaw gets bowl eligible in a season that was almost certainly going to be a down year for them, but I don't know if anyone anticipated it would be this down. Forgettable season, um, but even so, they'll probably still end up with seven or eight wins, and they'll go to a decent bowl game, and um, they'll continue the rebuilding process that really has to center for them around uh, their offensive front and the quarterback position. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an interesting state of the Pac-12 right now. Washington, the top team in the conference, didn't play anyone in non-conference. Really, no one in this conference earned a marquee non-conference victory. Washington State could win the Pac-12 North and have losses to Boise State and Portland State. So you're talking about a, a down year for the Pac-12, as we mentioned. That's never happened. Three teams, Oregon, Cal, and Arizona State, among the five worst in the country defensively. Arizona, 0-5 in conference play, is 108th in defense. It's starting to look more and more like the Big 12 as the season rolls along. Can we just say one more thing on this subject? They, they came out with the first BCS. Uh, CFP. CFP. CFP, sorry. Rankings. CFP uh, rankings. And um, Texas A&M with one loss was ahead of Washington. Yeah. That is just not right. It's a, it's a, a bad precedent to set, um, that you have a one lot. I mean, you look at their, both of their schedules, neither one of them, maybe you could say that Texas A&M's played a little bit tougher schedule. Okay. I'm, I'm fine with that, but they, they also play one fewer non, uh, one fewer league game. Mm -hmm. Uh, they lost, you know, pretty convincingly to Alabama, and they've had other games that they were close. I think Tennessee, there was a close game. Yeah, uh, they really had no business winning that game. Yeah, they probably shouldn't have won that game, right? So I, I, I think that that is really uh, a dangerous sort of a thing, even if the Pac-12 is down, which it is, uh, to have an 8-0 Washington team, 5-0 in the league. Uh, be be lower than Texas A&M. The only thing I'll say on that is if Washington wins out, there's no doubt that they'll be in. So oh, absolutely. You don't want to set that precedent, though, and I think that that's the important uh, statement to make. Yeah, well, and Texas A&M is not going to win out anyways. If Texas A&M yeah. did somehow win out and win the SEC championship game, then you might have an interesting conversation. But, you know, given that 
the only loss would have been to Alabama. They still might need Alabama to lose twice to be in the SEC championship game. So there you that's going to create a oh, conundrum. So that's so. and that's not going to Alabama's happen. got LSU this Saturday. ASU's on a bye. One of my favorite games to watch every season. Can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. It's, uh, it's going to be for us. It's going to be enjoyable being able to uh, watch a lot of other college football. Looking forward to it. Well, if you're enjoying the in-season content we provided you, get ready because our off-season content is firing up relatively soon. Uh, The JUCO mid-year signing period and early enrollee period for high schoolers is coming up. Chris, it's about six weeks away. ASU uh, poised to add to its recruiting class soon, at least Sun Devil fans hope, because the Sun Devils still in the single digits in their uh, commitments right now. But there should be a lot more action soon, as you've written about on the site. ASU is tailoring its uh, recruiting and, and its visits toward the end of the recruiting cycle. So it'll be a fascinating December and January come recruiting season on sundevilsource.com. There's going to be a lot going on. Yeah, and they eight commits right now. Uh, we're looking at a, a final uh, tally of about 22 or 23. Uh, ASU last year signed the top-rated junior college class nationally, uh, more top 100 JUCO prospects than anyone else. Uh, it's going to be a quick sprint uh, after um, they finish the season before they're signing some of those guys and getting some high school mid-year uh, transfer additions. Uh, they have a lot of work to do on the defensive side of the football. With their offensive class, they're probably only going to take another three to five players. Uh, there's a couple spots, offensive line, maybe take a juco, uh, run, a receiver. Uh, they don't need a quarterback or running back. But then you look on the defensive side of the football, and pretty much everywhere you look, they're going to need to add um, players both that are long-term development prospects, but then also uh, guys who are going to be able to come in and help right away next year. And that's something that we uh, cover quite extensively. We have a big board. Uh, it has every single prospect that ASU is recruiting. It has uh, them all ranked in terms of the odds of them ending up at ASU. Uh, we, we're going to follow all of these official visits, which ASU's only um, had a handful of uh, this to this point uh, in, in, in the season. So we're talking about dozens of more visitors coming up here in uh, November through uh, January. And we cover all that uh, extremely closely on the site. Don't forget signing day, fewer than three months away now. February 1st, big time for Sun Devil Source for the Sun Devil football program. We'll be following everything extensively and very closely. But that will do it for this week, the bi-week edition of the Sun Devil Source Report. We'll be back next week with our premium podcast previewing ASU's matchup against the Utah Utes. We'll see uh, what ASU can do with its health. Uh, After we watch a few more practices, we'll be out there on Sunday and Monday to see the Sun Devils' final tune-ups for Utah ahead of their uh, senior night on November 10th. Should be a really interesting week, Chris. Yeah, and a premium podcast uh, ahead of that where we really get into a lot of the matchups. I think as as this year's unfolded, we've done better with our uh, predictions. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've missed just two games uh, on the season out of nine. Uh, We've done better against the spread. I think um, been correct every game of the last three against the spread, Uh, and um, so we'll see how we can how we can do. uh, You know, with our prognosticating uh, the rest of the way, and also giving you a um, much more uh, thorough. 
look at the matchups between these two teams and, and how uh, ASU may look to uh, try to exploit the Utes. All right, that will do it for the Sun Devil Source Report. Be sure to check out the Sun Devil Source Premium Report ahead of the Utah game. That'll be on the site on November 8th. For publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host and editor, Kerry Crowley. Thanks so much for tuning in.